Let me begin by just congratulating you this morning. And you might be thinking, what have I done? Why in the world is he congratulating me this morning? Or if you have done something, you, how would he know? Now, I, I want to congratulate you this morning because on the very first Sunday of 2013, you decided to wake up and come here to Livingstone's Church to meet not only with other believers in Jesus, but to pursue God. And I think that is fantastic, especially as I consider all the other options that you have in regards to your time. You could be in your bed sleeping right now. You could be watching Netflix, catching up on that series that you've always wanted to see. You could be in your pajama pants, or maybe some of you still are in your pajama pants because this is Living Stones and that happens sometimes. But you could be at home in your pajama pants, drinking coffee and reading the paper, but instead you got up, came to church, and met with God. And I think that's a big deal. On the first Sunday of the new year, it doesn't matter what happened last year. It doesn't matter how infrequently you showed up or whether this time last year you had great intentions and they kind of didn't really follow through or materialize. At least this morning, on this Sunday, you were here and given all the other options that you had. I do think it's a great deal and a big deal that you're here. So you are to be congratulated. Last week, if you were here, you heard Jeff Gritton give an excellent message on serving and being all in in the kingdom and finding your place to just serve and to be a part of ministry, and it was a very encouraging, challenging series, and at the very end, he had us fill out uh, sheets of paper that had just a whole list of volunteer opportunities here at the Living Stones Church, and as we're reading through those this week, they're very encouraging, not only the number of responses that we got, but for all the different areas of ministry that people said, yeah, I think God has gifted me in this area, and I'd like to be a part of this and be uh, kind of work in this particular area. If you weren't here last week, which because it was a holiday weekend, uh, totally understand, there is still on the seats in front of you, those sheets of paper. And so sometime this morning, if you wouldn't mind just grabbing one of those, if you were gone last week, grab a pencil or a pen, there should be one even in that seat pocket, hopefully, and take a look through there and see if there might be something that you might think, yeah, as we get started in a brand new year, I'd really like to get more involved. I'd like to be a part of things. I'd like to really help us be on mission and vision, what God has called us to, and just check some of those areas uh, off that you think, yeah, I'd kind of like to give this some thought and, and maybe prayer and even some investment in my time in that. That'd be fantastic. Uh, if you were here last week, one thing that's on the sheet this week that was missing last week is our after-school explosion. We accidentally left that off last week, so if you didn't get a chance last week to fill it out, go ahead and do that this week. That'd be great. Go ahead and fold it in half. At the end of our service is when we take up our tithes and offerings, and the way we do that is Martin Supermarket Chicken Buckets. Go by your row, and that's where you could put that form. So when you see that bucket go by your row, just drop that form in there, and that would be fantastic. Good response last week. Now, I know we're in day six, and hopefully your resolutions are still going strong. If not, hey, it's no big deal. Tomorrow's a brand new day. But the one thing I do want to encourage you on as you enter into a new year is to consider the idea of committing to a particular Bible reading plan for 2013. In fact, if you were here with us last year around this time, it was the second week of January 2012, we, we talked about the Bible and talked about the importance of Scripture and making that a habit in our life. And I encourage you, uh, at least what is my favorite resource, and I know there's lots of them out there, but my favorite resource is uversion.com. And on that website that you could download on your iPhone or your Android, lots of different reading plans. I mean, it fits every personality, every particular preference. preference. And so we encourage people, hey, in 2012, why don't you pick a reading plan and see, like, really, like, not even 15 minutes a day, you could read the entire Bible. And so that's where we kind of started last year. In fact, let me, anyone finish their Bible reading? Go, don't be shy. Let's go, go, we're gonna, go ahead and raise your hands up real high, real high. There, okay, everyone give a hand to the people who finished. That's all right. Very good. No, that's really good. 
And if you didn't do it last year, no big deal. It's a brand new year. That's why I like New Year's. So in 2013, go to youversion.com or something like that and commit yourself to maybe reading through a reading plan for the new year. Now, I do know also in regards to kind of as we enter a new year, not everybody is like me. I'm a resolution guy. Like I have like 250 resolutions is what I always kind of write down on my sheet. I know not everybody's like that in personality and temperament, but what I can say is most people are interested in life change. Like whether you write on a sheet of paper and start a new year, like when you think about your life, I'm telling you, everyone in this room has something that they know. No, I'd like to see some real significant life change take place in the coming year in my life, whether it's in your finances or maybe in your health and losing weight, paying off debt. It might be in your marriage. It could be getting ahead in terms of your workplace, whatever it is. I want to tell you about next week where we're headed. For four weeks, we're beginning a brand new series entitled Change Anything that I'm real excited about because I think it will have a lot of good resources and tools to help us as we enter into a new year, whether you're into the resolutions or not, just to think about some serious life change. So during this week, if you're having coffee with a friend or you're talking to somebody and they mention to you an area of life that they want to change or a resolution or something like that, you invite them to come with you next Sunday, either at 9 o'clock, 10.30, or 11.55 as we kick off a brand new series. Send them to, the, to our website, livingstones.cc, so they can check us out and see what's going on. And let me show you this video we put together to promo what's happening over the next four weeks. I love New Year's Day. It's one of my favorite holidays, and with it, the great hope and anticipation that this year might finally be the year I accomplish the 274 resolutions that I've made for myself. But whether you're a resolution person or not, most people, when they reflect on their lives, are longing for some sort of change to take place. And it's this time of year when the most commitment and determination to change is apparent. Now, if you were with the Livingstones Church last year at this time, you might remember that we spent some time doing two things— One, looking back at the past year and giving thanks to God. But then number two, we wrote down on sheets of paper the things we didn't want to take with us into a new year. We wrote down habits and bad patterns of thought, sin, frustrations, failures, bad relationships, forms of addiction, all sorts of things. And I have no idea how everyone did in keeping those things out of 2012, but if the general statistics are correct, 98% of the things we committed to not bring into 2012 at some point found themselves back in 2012. Oh, come on! It seems that writing a resolution or a hope or a prayer on a sheet of paper and then saying a prayer isn't sufficient to produce the willpower necessary to keep bad things out or powerful enough to establish good life habits and lifelong dreams. But on Sunday, January 13th, we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Change Anything, and I am personally very excited about this message series and the journey that I plan on going on and that I want to invite you to as well to change anything in your life that you have hoped for, longed for, prayed for, and resolved to see different. Two weeks ago, I presented this message series in its entirety to the church staff, and they were also extremely excited about the content. In this series, we will discover tools and principles to literally change anything in your life, whether it be losing weight, getting out of debt, improving your marriage, stop smoking, getting off of drugs, overcoming your angry responses, or finally writing the book you've always wanted to write, or whatever else you've long resolved to accomplish but often failed. We will discover that your willpower isn't enough. 
that there are influences in your life that are perpetually working either for or against you. And our goal as we walk through it as a church in our teaching time, our communitas groups, and in personal times of work and reflection, we're going to learn how to identify these areas of influence and get them to work with us to accomplish the life change we have always longed for. I'm extremely excited for the, uh, the new Change Anything series for our church because I think that um, this has the chance to really see some serious life transformation in all of us, including my own family. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in all of us. I'm really excited about the Change Anything series because everybody has something they want to change. I know I have a ton of things in my own life I want to work on, and uh, but I need a tool. And I think that's what this series is going to do is give a great tool for people to and act upon and figure out how they can change things they wanted to change for. Be there on Sunday, January 13th at 9, 10, 30, or 11, 55, as we begin a four-week series entitled Change Anything. I'm not promising you that this will be easy. No real life changes. This isn't a plug for five easy steps that you too can. This is simply an invitation to a journey to do the hard work, even alongside others committed to the same goals to finally experience what we have for years, prayed for, dreamed of, and resolved. Let's finally make 2013 a year of victories in the realm of real and lasting life change. And One other last plug for Communitas groups. I know different seasons of life happen where you've got availability of time and, and space to get in a Communitas group, maybe at this point, but not at this point. But as we enter in a new year, if you're not in one, I want to just recommend they are the small groups here at the Livingstones Church committed to spiritual fitness. And at least for the next month, uh, they all kind of kick back off again this coming Sunday, the week of this coming Sunday. And so if you've not been in one, just go to the website, livingstones.cc, and sign up for a Communitas group. And over the next month, these are some of the things we're going to be working through even as a group to figure out how can we really have sustained life change that we've been hoping for and praying for. Okay, enough of the announcements. Let's begin this morning. Let's talk about first things first in the midst of all of our hopes for the year and resolutions or changes, those sorts of things. You don't have to call it resolutions if that isn't your thing. And listen, I don't have any desire to dash anyone's hopes for the year or to kind of temper in any way or dampen your motivation whatsoever for the things that you're hoping to do. I really do think it's great. And I, I don't want to be, I do though, however, want to be faithful to remind you in the midst of those resolutions and intentions and dreams that there are some things that are to be first. Now, here's what we know. No life change happens easily. It just doesn't. Like if there's something significant in your life that you want to change, it is going to require a, an investment of emotional energy or an investment of time. And because we are finite creatures capable of only so much in any given 24-hour period, you understand then that to apportion the commodity that is life in a way that helps us to make changes can be difficult. And so if you have a resolution to lose weight, you know that's going to require resources, time, or energy, or planning, or effort. You, you have to commit energy of thought into losing weight. I don't know about you, but every time I've tried to lose weight, it feels like almost all day I've got to walk around thinking about the fact that, no, this is my goal, I have to do this. Because the moment I become mindless is the moment I find myself in a drive-thru, right? The moment I become mindless in this effort, I find myself in the pantry eating a bag of those uh, cheddar and sour cream Lay's chips, which are delicious. But anyhow, well, that's another story. 
Right? I mean, so it's, it's an investment of time and of energy and of thought. You've got to exercise now or you've got to make a healthy menu. You've got to acquire the healthy foods or keep track of your calories or however you do it. You'll find it just, it's, it's consuming in some particular way that requires of you energy and resources. Or let's say for you, it's you want to improve your marriage in 2013. That's going to require from you then resources of time and thought and energy. It, it won't happen haphazardly. You'll have to think about it. You'll have to intend. There's going to have to be some sort of investment of what it is in terms of your life commodity of energy and resources. It'll have to go into to those sorts of things. Or, or if you want to get out of debt, that's going to have to require from you some resources of time. You, you get the idea. But he, here's the deal. Hey, let me tell you something you already know. You don't have unlimited resources. You don't have an infinite level of energy because you're human, and I'm human. And what that means is 250 high-priority resolutions of areas of significant life change isn't probably likely to happen this year. And it's my duty as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ to at least remind those of you who have pledged to follow after him that if you've confessed him as Lord, if you've promised to be his disciple, that as you're distributing your limited amounts of time and energy and thought and planning and intention, that Jesus has a few things to say about this. In fact, he has some very direct and significant comment on the list of your, I am resolved to do these things this year. And I need to remind you of it and then let you do what you will. But let me tell you what Jesus says. It's in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. This is what he says. And let's just keep this in mind in regards to all the things that we hope for this year, all the things that we intend, that there's still some first things first. He says this, verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I'm telling you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which really is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Come on, you of little faith. Don't worry, saying, well, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Listen, the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, here it is. Look, verse 33 is the key. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worry in itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, the context here in Jesus' teaching is worry. And, and that might be where you're really at this morning. Like you're sitting here and you're already, there's a spirit of fear or, or worry on you. Maybe as, you're, maybe as you're entering into this new year, for you, you're not thinking about all the wonderful things you'd like to get done and accomplished, but for you, you're thinking, no, if I don't get that job this year, then I don't know how we're going to make it another year without a job. Or maybe for you, as you enter into 2013, you're not really confident your marriage is going to be able to survive another year if it looks like it did last year. And so you've got fears and concerns about that. Maybe, maybe as you're looking into this year for you, it's, you know, there, there's a big move coming this year, or you're taking a new job this year, or maybe one of your kids are going off to college. 
or, or, or maybe it's retirement, and in that, there's some fear and then some anxiety and worry about what lays ahead in all those different issues and situations. Or maybe it really is just like Jesus' original audience, it is of things of your life. You're really worried about and anxious about what you're going to eat and drink. Like you're trying to crunch the numbers in the month and you're trying to figure out in terms of groceries, how am I, how am I really going to take care of my kids and feed them? And, and they need lunch money for school and, and there's a, a serious worry and concern about that. Or maybe like Jesus' original audience, it's, it's about the body. Like maybe you've got a physical health issue and the doctor has said you need this prescription, but as you add up the numbers, you don't know how in the world you're going to be able to afford that prescription and get by. Or, or maybe it's issues like what you'll wear. Maybe your kid broke their glasses once again and you know, I, I don't have any more money to replace these glasses. Or maybe your daughter's in that growth spurt and all the clothes that she wears, her pants now look ridiculous because she's four inches taller than she was just a few months ago. But as you look through the numbers, you're not sure you can afford another hundred bucks this month to remedy that because you're already two months behind in rent. And what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 6 is he's realistically pointing out that these things consume from us precious time and thought and energy and sleep they could consume us. They could take a toll. I, I don't know if you've ever been here. I mean, have you ever had just, an, just anxiety and fear and worry and it became consuming to you? I mean, you ever have anything in your life where you found that, no, when it comes to the precious commodity that is limited in my life of time and energy and resources, it got directed into that issue of your fear or your worry or your anxiety? I mean, I've been there many times. One of the most pronounced times I've shared with you before uh, that... Uh, I, I'm not right in the head all the time, that I, I struggle with OCD. And uh, at the height of that, my OCD was telling me that I was dying of cancer. Like I was always dying, even though I've never been diagnosed with cancer, my brain was telling me, you have cancer and you're dying. And at the height of that, I mean, it was so paralyzing to me, it consumed all of my available thought energy and brain space and time. It, it affected my relationships, it affected my marriage, it affected my job, it affected my, I mean, that's what happens in the midst of that worry. And so if you've ever been been in that moment where you've been crippled with fear or worry or anxiety, you recognize that whatever limited resources I might have, they're being consumed over here. And it seems that Jesus seems to pick that up and recognize that, yeah, that's one of the things that happens. And so his point is this, God loves you, he knows that you need these other things, and he's going to take care of you. Now, I know that's easy for me to get up and say, and, and it takes a great deal of faith, especially when you're crunching the numbers and you're thinking, well, then I need them to show up right now because this is due on Tuesday. Or, or when this is going on with your children, that it's very easy for you, well, I hear you say that. I mean, it's easy to say up front from the pulpit, but I'm telling you. And, no, no, it's, I know it requires faith at times, but what Jesus is saying is, listen, God loves you. He knows that you need these things, and he's promised to take care of you because of that, Jesus says, so free your mind, that brain space, free those limited resources, then to pursue the kingdom of God first. Matthew 6, and let me tell you, if you've got any goal to, to memorize the Bible in 2013, this would be a great verse to start with, Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If your mind and energy and pursuit is caught up in your fears and your anxieties or your worries of your life, going after food and clothes and care of the body, you won't have anything left for the kingdom of God. If you go after the kingdom of God, Jesus says, God will make sure that the rest 
happens for you. And I've actually seen this take place. It's sort of an oxymoron in the kingdom of God, but I've actually seen where when you go after God as your top priority, he seems to take care of everything else. And so I know for some of you, you're thinking to yourself, man, this year I'm desperate to have a better marriage and a stronger marriage. Or some of you might think, for goodness sakes, I'm just looking for a sign of life in my marriage in 2013. And here's what I've seen. I've seen people then out of that, they pursue things like reading books. They go to a marriage enrichment workshop. They invest in counseling. And let me, I'm not opposed to any of those things. Like, I think they're all great. Books, marriage enrichment, counseling, I'm on for all those sorts of things. But here's what I've seen. When people pursue the kingdom of God, meaning his reign and rule in your life and in your marriage, it radically changes the marriage. It seems that the key wasn't going after marriage per se. The key was going after the kingdom of God. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we see some amazing results break out in terms of marriage. Or if for you, you're desperate in 2013 to finally become financially stable, to get out of the debt, to stop living paycheck to paycheck, to promise to, we're not fighting once this year about money because that's what we seem to always, this seems to be the most, uh, if you need something revolutionary to happen in regards to your money, listen, you could pursue financial peace courses, you could read books, you could listen to the radio shows, you could download those apps on your phone, and I'm for all of those. Like, I'm not, I'm for all of those things. But here's what I've seen over and over again. When people pursue the kingdom of God first and his reign and rule in our finances and what he wants from us in terms of money, when that happens, then all of a sudden everything radically changes in our finances. And it seems like it isn't about just going after being debt-free in 2013. It's about pursuing the kingdom of God. And when we do that, all of a sudden we could see radical things break out. That when, when we pursue God, all of a sudden he fills that void that we were trying to keep filled by yet another shopping trip. Or when he teaches how to be faithful with just a little, he opens up the floodgates so that we can be faithful with a lot. And so whatever's on your list, and I, I mean, really, to lose the weight, to quit smoking, to stop drinking, to overcome that addiction, that's all great. Like, I don't, I'm not, dismi- I think it's all great. And in that, you could pursue a personal trainer. You could get one of those patches to help you stop. Or you could go see your doctor. I'm for all of those things. But I'm telling you, this is what I've seen, that when people pursue God, And in that, all of a sudden, that wound in their soul that was the root cause of their addiction gets healed by His grace, it changes everything. That what Jesus is simply reminding us of is, listen, if we're going to follow Him, if we want to be aligned with His heart and His mind and His desires, then it will mean that the dream of God for our lives and the world, the kingdom, has to be the most important thing to us. The most important thing to us. And I just know from personal experience, if my life is full of 250 other resolutions, it won't be the most important thing. And the reason why is because you don't have the time or the energy or the resources available to pursue all 250 resolutions and at the same time seek first the kingdom of God. Just because you're human. This isn't a criticism. You're human. And I'm human. We have finite space and resources and energies But in the midst of it, Jesus is calling to those of us who are following after him, who's called him Lord, to say, no, you need to feel about the purposes of God like I feel about the purposes of God. Did you know for Jesus, nothing is more important than the kingdom of God? He talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else. And all the topics, all the subjects, it's more than anything else, the kingdom of God, over and over and over again. Did you know Jesus, in the end, will even give up his very own life for the kingdom of God? for the purposes of God. And he says, if you're going to follow after me, 
this has to be your heartbeat too. This isn't like I wrote on the list, I'd like to learn Spanish in 2013, and then at the end of the year, whether I learned it, eh, you know, there's always next year. No, no, for Jesus, this is, no, there's something about the kingdom of God that is so precious to us, so vital to us, so important to us, that we desire it more than we desire our next breath. Because you imagine being in that place? We long for the kingdom of God more than we long for our next breath, more than losing weight, more than improving your marriage, more than getting out of debt, more than quitting smoking, all things I'm for that we'd say, I'd cash all of it in for the kingdom of God. Like, there's nothing more important to me, nothing that drives my life in the way that the kingdom of God does. I've got no goal, no resolution, no intent that trumps the kingdom of God being first and foremost in my life, it being everything and all-encompassing. Jesus will talk about it like this. He'll say this in Matthew 13, verse 44. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like this. It's like treasure that's hidden in a field. Just got to picture it in your mind. It's like there's buried treasure. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he sold all that he had and bought that field. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Do you feel that about it? Oh, I'd give everything up for that. I mean, the purposes of God, the kingdom, the reign and rule of God in my life, I mean, I'd give everything up for that. He goes on, it's like a, or a merchant who's looking for fine pearls when he found one that was of great value like more than anything else. So he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. Now, you don't get the picture of like, I guess I got to give everything up. No, I mean, it's, it's the treasure. I get the kingdom. I'd give up anything freely for the treasure that is the kingdom. I, I want to feel like that. I want my mind to be captured by and consumed, if you will, the purposes of God to such an extent that everything else seems insignificant. Any other resolution seems meaningless. Every other intent or goal, really, in light of the kingdom of God, I mean, it's like what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, listen, I, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and whose sake I've lost all things. And listen, this is crazy. He says, I consider them garbage. I mean, that's a, I mean it's a strong word in the great, I mean, it's, this is rubbish, garbage, this is that I might gain Christ. See, that's why God can't be just another resolution on our list of resolutions. The kingdom of God can't be just another hope on the list of our hopes for 2013. The purposes of God can't be limited to maybe just another bullet point in our list of things we'd like to see or accomplish in 2013. No, pursuing the kingdom of God has to be our first and driving passion in a new year. And if I'm going to be faithful in my pastoral responsibilities, I just have to remind you, as we enter into a new year, there are some things that are first and all-consuming. And I say that as a resolution guy. Like, I know not everybody has my personality, praise God, <laughs> you know, for your sake. I mean, but I am. I'm like, let's my favorite holiday I'm writing out, list of... So I'm not for a moment trying to discourage you from losing weight this year. And I'm not for a moment trying to discourage you from getting out of the debt that's been plaguing you for quite some time, or listen, if you're still smoking, you, sh you should quit, just because it's good for your health, and I'm, I don't want to dismiss that at all. All I want to do is to remind you, though, that the kingdom of God is to take precedent, and it has to be first, to seek after it first, and the rest, like Jesus tells us, will be given to you as well. Because I think at least in Jesus' perspective, if you accomplish all of your New Year's resolutions, but you lose sight of the purposes of God, this will be for you a tragic year. Like if you're able at the end of this year to check off, hey, I did this, I did this, I did this, 
But in the midst of that, you lost sight of the kingdom of God, at least in Jesus' mind, this will have been a bad year for you. He'll say things like this in Matthew 16, verse 26. Really, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? To lose themselves in the midst of going after all these other things, to lose the very thing that God created you for with the intent of having. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? If you lose what God intended for your life to the other hopes, dreams, and resolutions of the year, you're going to miss out then in 2013 what God has for you. Now, let me, let me close with this in terms of pursuing the kingdom of God. I, I know there are lots of things in regards to pursuing the kingdom of God that we could talk about. And I really did mean it to be congratulating you on being here this morning on the first Sunday of the new year. I really do think that's great. That is a sign of pursuing God and pursuing the kingdom of God. I could talk about reading through the scriptures in the year or devoting yourself to prayer or having some sort of devotional time and commitment to spiritual growth. All of those things I think are great. I could talk about joining a communitas group or, as Jeff mentioned last week, to to use your God-given gifts to serve and enter into ministry, and all those things are right. But for a moment, I'd like you to picture Jesus. Just You're following after Jesus. I just want you to picture him. He's on a huge mission. It's not done. It's not like he died on the cross and he raised from the dead. No, no, I mean, he is still on task. He is still on mission. He has a gigantic purpose to make all things new, is what Revelation tells us. Just picture it in your mind. What that means is that God intended the world to be and to look a certain way. And it got all messed up in the fall, and Jesus' entire purpose and mission is to restore what God intended from the very beginning, to make all things new. It's a huge, colossal mission, and we see it at work in his ministry. He's trying to reconcile those things that were affected by the fall, to reconcile them and to put them back together again to the glory of his Father. That's why whenever Jesus encounters anyone who's broken, do you know what he does? He heals them in such a way that he puts it back together again. Whenever he sees anybody who's in the midst of sickness, what does Jesus do? He's on the mission of the Father, which is what? To make all things new, and with a word or a touch, all of a sudden, healing comes to him comes back to them. Or anytime Jesus encounters somebody in sin, what does he do? He doesn't do this. No, no, no. I mean, what does Je- he offers them grace and forgiveness because he's making all things new. Whenever he encounters somebody who's demonized, who's struggling with those demons who are just nagging them over and over, what does he do? With a word, he casts them out and provides for them freedom. When he encounters anyone who's stuck in self-righteousness or hypocrisy, what does Jesus do? He makes all things new by bringing about truth. Or when he sees somebody who, it's obvious they have no hope. Like they've lost it. Just the world and life has beaten them down and crushed them to the point that they've lost hope. What does Jesus do? He speaks the power of hope and the good news of God's presence. Whenever he encounters anyone who's lost, what does Jesus do? He guides them right back to safety. And one of the things I love the most about Jesus is anytime he encounters somebody who thinks that they're outside the possibilities of God's love, which, by the way, this room might be full of people like that. I think, well, I know what I did last night, and I know what happened to me last year, and I know the choices I made. I mean, and out of that we think, I don't know if God could forgive me. I don't think God can love me. Whenever Jesus encounters anyone who's in that situation, he's always there to say, oh, no, no, no. God is crazy in love with you, and he overcomes all of those thoughts. (laughs) Anytime he encounters somebody who has blown it for their 47th chance, what does Jesus do? He gives them a 48th. And he does all of this while malevolent forces conspire against him. This, in my mind, if there ever was a superhero of sorts, in my mind, it is Jesus. 
And I don't mean that in some sort of dorky, cliche, bumper sticker sort of way. I mean it in the sense that Jesus has an incredible mission, an incredible purpose, an incredible calling, and with it all authority in heaven and on earth. And do you know what most superheroes have? They have a sidekick. Most good superheroes have some sort of sidekick. People with great callings and purposes have someone who is there with them through thick and thin to see them succeed. The sidekick isn't the main focus. You never see Robin go, I could have been Batman, right? The sidekick typically doesn't have all the superpowers. They aren't driving the show. Things don't revolve around them. The sidekick exists for one reason, to see the mission and purpose of the superhero come to pass. They seem to be content with living their lives to see someone else succeed. They're content with not receiving the focus or the glory, but making sure the superhero wins the day and receives the glory and the attention. They seem to find their greatest passion and greatest joy in seeing the superhero's mission come to pass. All superheroes need a good sidekick. And in 2013, I would love to be Jesus' sidekick. I would like to have the heart and mentality that says, it's all about him. Like, my, I want to live my life so that his mission and purposes succeed. That what God the Father has called him to, to make all things new, I want to be right there alongside Jesus, making sure that that happens. I'm not saying he needs me in a particular real way, but I just want to commit my heart and mind. That's what I, this is what I think it means to pursue the kingdom of God. To pursue the kingdom of God and the purposes of God and the reign and rule of God is to say, I'm going to be a sidekick for Jesus minus the tights. That's what I want. I want my life like that for Jesus. My greatest desire in 2013, beyond losing weight and paying off debt, is to see him win. And so I would just ask you, like, when you're at school, before getting good grades, which I'm for, before you're doing well in all of your athletic, I mean, I'm, I'm all for that, before any of that stuff, pursue the kingdom of God. Let that be the thing that drives you. What that means is when you're at school, ask yourself, in this context, whether it's in your classroom or the cafeteria, how does Jesus' mission move forward? Let that be the lens by which you see other kids sitting at tables in the class. Let that be the lens by which you know how to speak about other people in your school and how to treat them. Let that be the lens in how you respond to your teachers. Let that be, you, you get how the question becomes, the kingdom of God is the most important thing to me right now. And as a sidekick to Jesus, I want to know, how does his mission win here in this place? And that's what I'm committing myself to. Or maybe for you in the workplace, and I don't care where you work. Wherever you work, the central driving question is the kingdom of God. How does Jesus' mission move forward in this place? What does this mean by way of what we talk about when we're on the break time together and how we treat the boss and, and how I do my work and the ethical standards I have for myself and when somebody shows up and they're not okay, what I say to them and how I encourage them. I mean, it, everything matters because we're sidekicks for Jesus looking to him to use us in some particular way to help him make all things new. How does Jesus' mission move forward or when you're with your group of friends, it's the same thing. How does the kingdom of God advance here, now, in this? And may that be the burning passion in your heart and mind. And may that capture your intent for 2000, more than anything else, may that capture your intent for 2013. May you see the kingdom come in your life all around you, just like it is in heaven. And we want to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and trust that because God knows all things, he sees all things, and because he loves us, it's going to take care of us because of that we could pursue the kingdom. Amen?
Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that you're a God who does love us in a crazy way that I can't even comprehend or communicate. What I'm asking is this morning, Lord, that you would just fill us with a passion for the things of you and for your kingdom, that the same heartbeat and passion that was in the Lord Jesus Christ would be the same heartbeat and passion that we have, that we want to see your kingdom advance, your kingdom come, your will be done here in our lives, in our family, in our school, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, just like it is in heaven. And so use us, Lord, to be sidekicks for the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us what that means, and I pray, Father, that this year we would be just captivated by your kingdom. This we pray.